Tuesday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. It's all about educating yourself on these products and their benefits, and they have a staff dedicated to helping you live a better life. So don't hesitate to ask questions, 405-458-9699. Plus, we're saving you 15% when you order online. Simply go to abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code Colby Show at checkout to save 15% off your online order. Once again, abotanicalcompany.com. All right, our weekly Tuesday guest is Eric G from the Tulsa Sports Animal. We'll talk Julian Edelman, Hall of Fame, how the Hall of Fame mentality might be changing or how we might see it change over the next decade. The Oklahoma City Thunder full tank mode is Shea Gilgis Alexander, the building block that you you build around going forward. We'll talk about all of that with Eric G on today's episode. Happy Tuesday, Eric G. What is happening, my friend? Oh, man, there's a ton going on. I got to pour one out for my man, Julian Edelman, who decided to give it up yesterday. <laughs> not a Hall of Famer. Not a Hall not of Famer, okay. Of, not a Hall of Famer. Don't even think that he's a Hall of Famer. He'll be in the Patriot Hall of Fame, um, which is their version of the Ring of Honor. He'll get his red coat. He'll have whatever they do when they're a plaque or a bust or whatever in their, in their museum. That's what he'll be. But he's not a Hall of Famer. Wes Welker's not a Hall of Famer. Certainly not Danny Amendola. But they were blessed with some really good slot receivers during Tom Brady's time. And Edelman, if there's anything you can remember him for, if Bill Belichick had... And he does. Belichick actually has a book on what makes the perfect position and perfect player. But if he had a perfect Patriot in mind, Edelman is is that guy. Hard worker, did his job. Do your job. That's the Patriot motto, right? Do your job. But the underlying fact was do your job well. And he always did that. You never really heard Edelman complain and he made a very seamless transition when, when Wes Welker um, let, left the team. So it, it was fun to watch him. One of the greatest catches in, in Super Bowl history. Um, going to be sorry to see him leave, but I, I don't think you can mention him in the same breath with guys like Deion Sanders and Bart Starr and Terry Bradshaw. Randy Moss, um, Jerry Rice. Yeah, no. No, he doesn't. He doesn't fall. He doesn't fall into that category. He's, he's one of those guys that you, you're very appreciative of. Glad he was on your team, but that's kind of where the honors in for him. Yeah, I, I I was leaning toward no as well. I my my surprise level was because you're a Patriots fan, and I assumed if anybody thought Edelman was going to be a Hall of Famer, it would be a Patriots fan. So. No, and today, look, I don't, I don't, who am, okay, first of all, who am I to rip Mina Kimes, right? <laughs> I, she is brilliant at what she does. She's on ESPN for a reason. She's an extremely talented writer. But listening to an interview with her this morning, she talked about how Edelman revolutionized that slot receiver position. But if you're going to say anybody in that organization did it, Welker Wes came Welker. before Edelman. Yeah. Absolutely. So it had to be Wes Welker. And again, not to not for football knowledge, but if you've been watching the Patriots since 2000, then you knew that. I mean, Edelman, Amid- Edelman and Amadou, while Edelman may have been better, and I think you could always make an argument that Edelman was better than Welker. 
and you could make just as good as argument that that Welker was better than Edelman. You cannot say that he revolutionized that position because Welker shows you what it was supposed to be. And Edelman was the guy that was just able to go in there and just pick up where Welker left off. Uh, the only difference between the two is Edelman made the catch in the Super Bowl, welkered it. <laughs> and people here in Oklahoma will argue, well, Brady underthrew that ball. Maybe so, but in the Super Bowl, you have to make that catch if you want to be revered and put on a pedestal and have murals painted, you know, painted for you where when you're old and gray, you're walking by a bar and there's a picture of you. You've got to make that catch. Welker didn't make the catch, but he did revolutionize that position for sure. I, I want to play devil's advocate for just a second. And and look, I agree with you. So I, I, this isn't my own uh, take, but just playing the other side of it, I, I look at the game of football today in 2021 and it's changed so much. Just in the last couple of years, it's changed so much. And it's become a, a sport where you have so many specialists and, you know, you, you kind of reference, like, can we really put Julian Edelman in the same class as, like, these other guys? And, like, it, it seems absurd to say that Julian Edelman in any any fashion is in the same class as, you know, like I said, Randy Moss or Jerry Rice or the greatest, you know, that ever did this. Larry Fitzgerald is a future Hall of Famer. It seems crazy that you would put Julian Edelman in that same category. But he kind of, he plays a different position, right? Like, that position wasn't valued for decades and decades in, in the NFL. And now it's, it's a position where a lot like the tight end, like we see the tight end position is completely different today than it used to be. Uh, now we see that position valued. So I wonder if like we are, we are all kind of stuck maybe in the old sense of like, yeah, maybe he didn't catch a hundred balls for 20 touchdowns from that position, but He's also had some of the greatest seasons of production from that position, and that should count for something. You know, maybe Devin Hester, I think, is a good example of this, right? Like, we didn't, we never valued return guys until Devin Hester started being the very best that ever did it, and now that's a conversation. So, um, where do you where do you lie on that? Well, first of all, I would argue that we started valuing them when Deion Sanders was a return guy prior to Dev prior to Devin Hester. Fair, what, fair. You're making a very you, you're making a very interesting argument there because it's, it's sort of like the baseball argument on relievers and designated hitters. Right. Um, it's like how do you? I mean, first of all, the only una- the only unanimous member of the Baseball Hall of Fame is the guy that made his living pitching one inning per game, and that's Mariano Rivera, the only unanimous person in the Hall of Fame. So. And it took a long time to get there. And by him being the unanimous guy, he opens the door to a lot of a lot of players who weren't valued by the voters. And maybe in say five years, as as the older generation ages out and is no longer voting, and the younger generation comes in, you'll see guys like Edelman and Welker get more consideration for the Hall of Fame when they do now. Your problem with slot receiver, though, is that, one, your spectacular plays are few and far between. You're, you're viewed as a workhorse. Yes, you'll get the ball. Yes, you'll be able to make tons of yardage after the catch. But 
most likely you're never going to have those plays like Randy Moss did. Those, right. those extremely athletic plays where you have to, where you go over a guy or you out jump a guy who is just as athletic as you are. And that's how guys like, I mean, well, Rice made, Rice made his thing by scoring touchdowns. That was the one thing Rice did. He was, he was able to stretch the field. He was able to score touchdowns, and he was able to score touchdowns in the biggest moment. Randy Moss made his living by just being more athletically gifted than a lot of people on the field or being at more athletically gifted than the people who were covering him, who we also viewed as, as athletically gifted. So unfortunately for any slot receiver, because of the way the position is played, normally you're catching balls on the run. And right. you may catch a ball over the middle and still get punished for it, which should be appreciated. I mean, honestly, <laughs> if, if you're going, if you're 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 one of the few positions now that will go in the middle of the field when you're when you're catching the ball. You and a tight end, and you get punished for it. That's something we should value. I will say one hundred percent that 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 is something that, as violent as the game of football is. If you're a really good slot receiver, your career should be shorter than a guy like Randy Moss or a guy like Jerry Rice or Terrell Owens. Because you should take enough hits that after three, four years, you're just done. You're done with it. Your brain can't take it anymore. Your body can't take it anymore. Or you're fast enough to avoid those guys, which again is in a gift of itself where yeah. Edelman had a lot of speed. Welker had a lot of speed. Amendola, maybe not as much, but still a, a very effective guy. And maybe that's just it. We see them as effective workhorses versus necessarily see them as superior athletes or that next level guy who is who we sit at the bar and say, can you believe he did X? Right. I mean, other than Edelman's catch in the Super Bowl and the and the pass that he threw and, and the pass that he threw, and let's not forget he was a former quarterback. Yeah. What is like the, the best Julian Edelman play you remember? And that's part of being a Hall of Famer is you remember great plays, or there are a slew of them yeah. that everybody talks about, or it's just that instant where you don't have to debate it which has always been our criteria. You you and I have both agreed with that. If the guy's not a Hall of Famer on the first ballot, then why does it take four or five ballots for him to be a Hall of Famer? He either is or he isn't. Right. You and I have been, always been very black and white in, in that scenario. And Edelman, unfortunately, Welker, unfortunately, are guys that have to be debated. And that just, that takes, that takes a lot of the shine off of them where, Randy Moss, Deion Sanders, Terrell Owens, there should never be a debate about any of them. Yeah. It's like, no, they were just that freaking good yeah. amongst people who were also that freaking good, and they were just they were just better enough for us to go, okay, yeah, they, they, they deserve to have a bust and, and be looked at for the, for the rest of their lives and long after they're dead. And it's almost like if we give Edelman that title, we're taking something away from Brady, right? Because that's part of the Brady mystique is that he had all this success with 
just this, you know, this group of receivers that nobody wanted, this trash heap of receivers, if you will. And I'm not, I, I, Julian Edelman is a terrific football player, but um, it almost feels like if you're calling Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer all of a sudden, like, well, then did, was Tom Brady as good? I mean, it's, I, I think there's a little bit of that, but I will make a prediction. And and this is probably a little bit of a chicken and the egg thing. I don't know if, if we don't have guys like Wes Welker and Julian Edelman doing what they did for the Patriots. And look, the NFL is a copycat league, so whoever's having the most success is going to be copied. Um, the Patriots made that position popular. Now everybody in the league is is running some sort of you know slot receiver, go-to guy that's going to catch 100 balls. My prediction is, in 10 years, when we've had a full decade of teams putting a tremendous amount of focus on having dynamic playmakers in that position like Tyreek Hill when he's when he's all done when this group of guys right now that is producing at an all-time great level in the slot is done in about 10 years I think we're all going to be view the slot receiver position differently and then because of that I think we're going to go back retroactively and be like hey Wes Welker Julian Edelman they were the godfathers of that you know, maybe we don't have these guys doing what they're doing today if we don't have those guys first. So I think retroactively, they will be more appreciated about a decade down the road. You're you're probably right. And especially as guys like Tyreek Hill start playing that position. Guys who, I mean, Tyreek Hill, first of all, Tyreek Hill is probably not going to get in the Hall of Fame just because of his off-the-field stuff. That being said, when you have that more spectacular athlete play that position where you're like, okay, well, let's put somebody faster there. Let's put somebody a little bigger there. Um, let's put somebody there whom we could also line up outside. Because the thing about Edelman was, and the thing about Welker, where else could you put them on the field that they were going to be as effective? Now they were both return guys. Right. They are both return guys. But because of their lack of height, because they were a little diminutive in, in, yeah. in, in, in football terms. You weren't really going to put them anyplace else on the field. But as you start putting bigger, stronger guys in that position, guys who are faster, then all of a sudden it really starts amplifying things. And that's when it, you'll see somebody get into the Hall of Fame that is like Tyreek Hill. And then maybe you are right. Maybe we go back and appreciate them in, in, in retrospective. Both of them get into the Hall of Fame, much like Tommy McDonald did yeah. way past the time that they played, which would be a great honor for both. And it certainly deserves to be mentioned. It's just, for I think for us, when we see somebody as a workhorse, we're real quick to take away from him. And, and to me, Edelman adds to Tom Brady's mystique, especially if he is a Hall of Famer. If you consider him a Hall of Famer, then that adds to Tom Brady's mystique because that tells you that Tom Brady can take a guy and make him that much better and turn him in from somebody that coaches didn't know what to do with to this valued player who revolutionized this position, who now who now coaches see all sorts of ways to use. And without Tom Brady, that could not have been done. Actually, without Bill Belichick, that could have been done. So it just makes both of them that much, you know, it, it, it adds to that mystique of, of being visionary. You start getting the idea of these two mad scientists sitting in the, sitting in the office just saying that phrase, what if? What if we did boom? 
Yeah. What if we went out and got this guy and put him here? How much better? How much better could we be? Yeah, it's very. It's a, it's a very interesting discussion. Um, Absolutely. Maybe maybe Welker and, and Edelman both deserve to be in the Hall of Fame simply for that. And the Hall of Fame is just as much about your contribution and impact as it is your numbers, and it may be more so yeah. about that. Um, one of the, a guy I used to work with for a long time, thought he had a great line. He's like, the hall of fame tells the story of whatever the hall of fame is. All right. So when you walk into that building, the rock and roll hall of fame, the baseball hall of fame, NFL hall, real pro football hall of fame, it tells you the story of that sport. And if you, if the story can't be told without you, you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And that was his justification for putting Joe Namath in the Hall of Fame. Because if you look at Joe Namath's loss record and his touchdowns to interception ratio, that man is not a Hall of Fame. Right. But he won a Super Bowl, Eric. He won a Super Bowl. He won the most important Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't just yeah, a Super Bowl. True. He won the most, most important Super Bowl in the history of the NFL, history of the AFL. So for that, he gets to be a Hall of Famer. And if what you're saying is true about how Welker and Edelman helped establish the slot receiver position and football was revolutionized because of the success that these two had, and you cannot advance the story without mentioning that, then yeah, you have to put them both in again. It's that simple. And that's just, it'd be interesting to pick the brains of people who actually choose this see what they thought of both of those see what they thought of both of those guys but but it is it's a fascinating discussion because i think you and i are both like julian edelman hall of famer yeah well because i think initially the thought is like (laughs) as a player did he accomplish enough to be in the hall of fame and i think for me at least that answer is an easy no but when you consider the contribution part and what that player's career means for the game and, you know, the, the evolution of the game and the way that teams are going to approach the game going forward, then all of a sudden, you know, their impact was bigger than just what they did statistically on, on any given Sunday. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really interesting discussion that I think as we watch the game evolve, we'll probably have more appreciation for the tone that those guys set, um, you know, over these, these last 10 years. So. This is a really good discussion. Now, now yeah. you, you honestly made me rethink this, approaching it into today's show. Nice. Because I'm still convinced. He's a red jacket guy, not a gold jacket fair. guy. Fair. Tom Brady is both, but there, there, is something to, there is something to be said there. Yeah. Um, and it also brings me to, what is Bill Belichick's Hall of Fame speech going to be like? Oh, God. <laughs> Will he actually talk? Will he show up? <laughs> Thank you. Thank oh, you. I, you know, Tom. Uh, Tom Brady. Uh, on to, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, on to. Went to the Super Bowl and, yeah. and Tom. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, on to dinner. <laughs> it's going to be the shortest speech in all of faith history. Just a curmudgeon old man up there not willing, not really wanting to talk or be in front of people. That will be fantastic. Everybody, they're going to put him last. They'll, they'll put him last on that night because it's like, all right, we're going to put Bill last because everybody's tired. Everybody wants to go home. He didn't want to speak. 
so it'll be perfect. He'll come up, he'll say something in 90 seconds, and then we can all go home. Yeah. I imagine it being painful, which is a great segue yes. because, uh, well, before I, before I hit that, let me just tell you about something that's really painful. Um, I was actually going to use this segue to go into Thunder Basketball, uh, but this is, this is kind of perfect. So I woke up this morning. I get out of bed. I'm walking into the living room. You know, everything's, all the lights are off. Curtains are closed. It's very dark. My son has, has like a million Hot Wheels. And generally, I try to get him before bed to pick them all up off the floor. And occasionally, there are one or two left behind. Well, last night, apparently, he left behind. And I'm showing on the stream right now, I'm showing this Hot Wheel. He left behind. It's a forklift Hot Wheel. So it, it looks like a forklift. Oh. And it's a Hot Wheel. And it was left with the two prongs facing up. So I walked into the living room going to, you know, open the curtains and and all that. And I stepped on this thing and I probably let out the worst sound of all time. I mean, people think stepping on Legos is bad. That has nothing on stepping on this damn forklift hot wheel that has pretty much ruined my day, Eric. So... I'm, look, I've got this thing with me. I'm not sure that I'm ever giving it back. That, no, put, put that in your pocket. See, see if he misses it. If he if he doesn't miss it, just slide it into a box for a giveaway or yep. let it make its Donation. way yep. to the trash can. Yeah. See, you are so you are so lucky though. My poor mom. Okay, again, when you get into stories like this, inevitably you've got to top the person that just told the story. Absolutely. I have no idea yeah, why. I was, I was expecting okay. that. Okay. So. So my poor mom, um, when we were living in Oceanside, California, while my dad was on active duty for the Marines, he used to give me all his old name tags and I used to, I used to wear them. I, I would have them, you know, they're, they're, they're like a, a little, like a black strip that, you know, you, you're supposed to pin onto your uniform. They've got that pin. Well, um, I never really cleaned my room. Like, you know, most kids between the ages of four and five, like most you get of us, out yeah. a toy, you do, right. yeah, you do whatever with it. You just throw it on the ground when, you, when you're done playing with it. Well, uh, one day I was probably done wearing the name tag and just took it off and threw it on the ground. And my mom came into my room barefoot and I threw it on the ground and it was open. So that pin is sticking up instead of being locked in. It's like oh, a safety pin. Like yeah. you've ever seen yeah. a safety pin and how, how they're, designed yep. that's how these name tags were designed so that pin is sticking up instead of being locked down my mom came into my room and stepped on the tag and jammed into her foot yeah like flush yes so we had to call the neighbors um uh, other we were living on base so we're having to call other other people to take her to the emergency room to get the doctor to remove it. And I think, unfortunately, she had to get a tetanus shot. Oh. No stitch. I don't know if there were any stitches, but, yeah, I was not super high on her list for about six, seven years after that. <laughs> I don't think there was yeah. any any forgiveness what, what, so, whatsoever for that. So it, yeah. it, it could have been worse. You could have been rushed to the hospital, but no, kids. If you have a kick, stepped on, or been somewhat mangled by one of your kids' toys, you're doing very oh, wrong yeah. because that's 
really one of the joys of it. Well, luckily, the, the prongs on this forklift aren't sharp enough to actually puncture. Unfortunately, they're strong enough where it just, it basically has left a bruise on the bottom, like the arch of my foot. I got it right on the arch. Oh. So it's like the, the middle of my foot is bruised at this point. So, yeah, just horrible. Eek. I... I think I probably would have preferred it to just puncture and go in. That that might have actually been a better situation. <laughs> you're gonna be like you're gonna be like a, like an NBA player where two days from now it's gonna be feeling better. You'll get around, you'll start doing things, and then all you'll yeah. start doing things, and all of a sudden it'll get re-injured. Yeah, and you'll be out, you'll be out again, and then you'll try and come back, and it'll just be one of those continuous things. That, throughout the season until you get it until you're able to get it correct i'm going to be listed as day-to-day for the next 60 days so yes that's it yeah there there it is day-to-day for the next 60 days (laughs) we'll reevaluate in in five to ten days and then we'll reevaluate again so there you go yes dude are the are is this current thunder unit the worst you've ever seen yes not even close yeah was not here. Okay, was not here for the 08 season. But at least that season, you had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And the year after that, you got James Harden. So if you were going to those games, 08, 09, you could probably start to see the development of, okay, these two cats, or at least one of them, it's going to be really good. And if you can just put people around him, there's a, a, an opportunity for, for, for this team to possibly be special. You can't say this about this Thunder group. You've got one guy who is a borderline all-star in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Darius Baisley, who the other night went out and scored 17 points and grabbed nine rebounds after sitting out 16 games, which shows you potential. Being a a good, solid NBA player, and Lou Dort, who is a good two-way player. But none of these guys are even remotely the level of a Durant and a Westbrook. Right. Who are going to be Hall of Fame. You can't say that about any of them. You can't look at anybody on this team and say, this guy's a future Hall of Famer. Most players on this team, you can't even look at and say, they're going to be good NBA players. It's just a huge question mark. And with guys coming in on 10-day contracts, guys being signed to two-way contracts, now you just find the guy from Spain or wherever, it just feels like you're trying to get to the end of the season. You've got three players on this team who are worth watching every single night, and everybody else is very hit and miss. And you know that when they run out there, they're probably going to get beat from anywhere from 15 to 20 points at, at the closest. Yeah. They may win a, cup, a couple of games here with like 19 left to play. But yeah, it, it, it is by far the, the worst, but maybe the worst Thunder u- unit in history, depending on what 08, 09 looked like to people that saw that. But no doubt, the Simon covering just got awful. Ter- yeah. Terrible team to watch. I think they're in a really interesting position, and I was thinking about this this morning. One of the hardest things in the NBA is when you have a bad team and you have a player like Shea who's playing really well is to evaluate that guy in a way where you say, this is our franchise player, or 
is he a really good player that is the best player on a bad team? Like, I, I think that the Thunder are in this interesting position, and, and I'm not I, I'm not sure what I think about Shea as far as being the franchise guy. Uh, can he be the best player on a team that's that's top four in the conference? I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's an interesting position because we look at the NBA today, and, and this got brought up, I think, back at the, the All-Star break when we were having the conversation about whether he's an All-Star. Statistics in, in this season are so inflated across the board Eric, there are like 35 guys that are averaging over 20 points a game this year. Over 35. Like, it's it's insane. So I look at a guy like Shea, who's obviously had a tremendous season, and I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm just legitimately asking a question that I think needs to be asked. Is he a franchise guy when you consider how many players are doing close to what he's doing? Or on a team that somebody has to score, somebody has to, you know, get some rebounds and some assists, is he just the best player on a really bad team? And I think that's a... That's a tough position to be in, and that's a tough evaluation. He is, okay, the, the, the get-out answer on this is he is the Thunders franchise guy, okay? And just because you're a borderline all-star does not necessarily mean you should be the face of the organization. What Shea Gildas Alexander has is, one, he's, got some of the he's got a little bit of Russell Westbrook in him and the fact that he does have the ability to take over a game when he needs to okay he can he can be a, a, a bulldog he, he can be the guy that, that whips people into shape and he can be the guy that that folks kind of rally around and, 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 and go where he goes to leading, you know, as he leads by example. That being said, if you put him on a team with Chris Paul again, if you put him on a team with Danilo Gallinari, it takes a lot off his shoulders. And what we saw was that he was better when he didn't have to take over a game. When you've got complimentary players around you where you're not having to force it, you're going to be able, you're going to be free and easy. You're going to be able to play the way you want to play or need to play in order for your team to win without having to look around at these guys on the team going, "Okay, well we're, we're picking up your slack." I it, it's a tough question to answer. And, and honestly, I, I I don't think Sam Presti has that answer. And, and when you've got 34 picks over the right. next 7 years between the first and second round, Sam Presti Sam Percy's not an Sam Percy is not an idiot. You may not have liked every one of his moves, but he's not an idiot. There is part of Sam Presty who has probably thought several times over the last few months, do we have a guy that can take us as far as we want to go, which is ultimately to win a championship? And he may not he may not believe Shea Gildas Alexander is that guy. And we'll know by the way that he drafts. Well, actually, no, you won't necessarily know that, by the way. Yeah, it depends on the pick, right? Falls, yeah, and, yeah, and if somebody falls to you the way CeeDee Lamb fell to the Dallas Cowboys that you didn't think you were going to get, then you're going to take them. I mean, he may, it's like, a, this is an example. He may say, okay, best way for us to win is build this team around Shea with, with him running the offense and us needing a you know solid three that's going to shoot 
um, a four that can stretch the floor and also be tough inside. Um, a center that is athletic as Moses Brown, but more consistent when he goes out from beyond the arc or, or whatever. And he may say, this is it. We just need this piece and this piece in order to make it happen. Well, you're there on draft night, and all of a sudden, some the guy that you had, highest on your draft board, second highest on your draft board, and you're thinking, ah, we'll never get this guy. Everyone will take him, but he is a he's a surefire Hall of Famer, or he's a surefire All-Star that's going to start day one. And maybe he's a point guard, okay? And you're thinking, he's, he's a featured player. He, he is the guy who's going to sell the most jerseys, but we'll never get it. Well, when that guy's there, you've got to take him. Yeah. And then now, all of a sudden, your philosophy changes. It's like, okay, well, now we've got this guy. Do we still need Shea? Or does, is he going to play better? Is he going to be more comp? Is he going to be better complemented by having a point guard that plays a little bit more like Chris Paul, less like Shea? Now we move on to, to looking for that guy, and can we move Shea? To get him, and even if it means giving him up, is there somebody we can bring in? That's the way Sam Presti's got to be thinking right now. Everything's got to be on the table, and I—it's it, hard to say that Shea is without a doubt one of the best players in the NBA, meaning top twenty. Um, but he certainly looks a lot better playing on a team that only has two players, two good, two really good players after Hammer. Right. Two decent players after that. Yeah. And and look, this is a conversation that, that we all have. The Thunder aren't in a position where this really matters anyway because, again, it's not like there's you're having to make the decision, well, is it Shea or somebody else at this point? Obviously, he's going to be the guy for a long time. They're going to do everything they can to keep him around, even if you do draft the next guy, you know, you've got to see what that guy has. So um, I, I think Shea's here for a long time, and I think he's going to be the building block I think it just, you know, thinking down the road and evaluating it, if you're a GM, you know, you're, you're at least having these thoughts and, you know, deciding whether you just believe this is the guy or, like I said, just another guy in the NBA that's on a bad team that has just insane numbers. Uh, is It's a really tough chore, man. It's, like, it's like, like really Russell difficult. West, like Russell Westbrook. Like Russell Westbrook does right now. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean, Russell Westbrook that- is for the Wizards. But, like, you know, when Russell Westbrook was an MVP, it wasn't just the numbers. It was that he had that Thunder team in the, what, four position in the Western yep. Conference that year? Like, that was – he wasn't just putting up great numbers. He was leading them to wins that were unexpected. And, you know, they were threatening for home court advantage in the Western Conference. Like, as as kind of a one-man show, it was, it was beyond just the numbers. And I, I think that's where, you know, there's the – like, like for instance, I think there's a guy in the NBA right now that's putting up great numbers that's not getting a ton of respect because of team success, and that's Trey Young, right? Right. I mean, he's well, averaging and, like and 25 a game, and you know he didn't make the All Star team this year. So, is he doing it out of necessity because he's the only one that can score, right, or is right. he doing it just because he's he's that much better? And with, with both of them, it's a, it's a tough question to answer. Now, I personally think. Trey Young is that good when you watch him play because there's some very interesting facets to his game. Yeah, I do too. Um, probably, probably the best facet to his game that you can see a little bit better with Shea is Trey's got this uncanny ability to draw contact. Right. Um, 
he can, even even when the guy is savvy as Lou Dort, and you don't sometimes you don't realize how savvy a defender Lou Dort can be. You know he's a good defender. You know he's athletic, but watching him, like I purposely watched when Trey Young was here, how many times he did his little break move, or I call it the break, where he stops and gets the guy on him to draw contact. I watched to see how many times he did that to Lou Dort. How many times did he draw contact? And he got him twice. Which for Lou Dort isn't bad, but it, it, it says something about Lou Dort. It's like, okay, with Trey Young doing this four, five, six times a game on Lou Dort, trying yeah. to initiate that contact. And he only got him twice. It says something about Lou Dort, but it also says something about Trey Young that he, he, even he can get that guy to figure out how to foul him. And, and Trey's a guy that you could drop him on any team and he is going to make them better. Yeah. He, he he is that guy. Can you say that about Shea? Right. And and look, post All Star break, obviously that's that's not what I'm referring to because they've been extri- you know a lot better, and I, I think they're even like what fourth or yeah. fifth in the East. Uh, but before the All Star break is is what I was referencing because he didn't even make the All Star team, and it's not because him as an individual is bad. It was because the team wasn't having a lot of the success, right? Like so, it it, <laughs> yeah. it became like is Trey a good player or is he just a good player on a bad team and um, that that might be a bad example, but you you get I think you get what I'm I'm trying to kind of reference. No, totally totally get what you're referencing there, and it'll be interesting to see. I I, I do you have a feeling where this team is going? Because that's the one thing I can't I cannot figure out what the game plan is here. And I'm sorry, I'm still not sold on Al- I'm still not sold on Pokachevsky. I'm still not sold on on, on Maladin. I no, don't I'm know what all. these I'm guys not. are. And I know fans want to win. I don't know. And again, I don't know exactly why fans want to embrace Pokachevsky so much. I mean, do they think he's the next Dirk? Or he's do the, they he's, think he's he, the next yeah, Luca? He, that's the thing. He's the unicorn. Like, he's just, he's he doesn't look like anybody else in the NBA. He's tall and thin and, you know, has the, the skill set that he has. And, you know, it's just he's kind of a fun guy to rally around because he's different. I guess it's the fanny pack. I mean, it just, yeah. he's so raw. He's yeah. so raw. And, and it, it's, uh, here, here's what it is, Eric. It's, it's hope, right? Like that's, that's what sports fandom is built on hope. And I think when you watch him play, when you look at the length and the skills and the ability to dribble and shoot and all that, there's hope that if it all comes together, he becomes, you know, Dirk, like you said, or maybe like Porzingis. He's just, he's such like a, he's like a cult right now. Yeah. I mean, the legs are so wobbly. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Probably, probably an example people don't, don't want to hear, but that's the way it is. And and, and, and Mark Dagnall said it. It's going to be with him one step forward, two or three, four steps back. Yeah. I mean, to, to get any consistency out of him is, is really a miracle because he doesn't even play at the highest level over in, over in Europe. And it was that next, leveled out from that yeah. and that's probably the biggest issue I have with him well one I don't blame Sam Presti too much because it was a thin draft last year but when you're going to take somebody in the first round you hope they're not as big a project as this guy is because even when you can see the potential you want that guy to be able to have it mostly put together by this time in the year 
And where Pokachevsky is now is where he should have been at the beginning of the season. And if you're number one draft pick, he shouldn't have to go get right in the G League bubble and then come back and be greatly improved. He should have been where he is now is where he should have been at the beginning. And then we should start to see more of the player he's going to become at this point in the season. But we just do not have that answer for him. We don't have it for Moses Brown either. As athletic as Moses Brown can be from time to time, there isn't anyone, anyone that can watch him and say, oh, yeah, he's going to be a starting center for for 15 years or or whatever. You just know that he can play on the Thunder because the Thunder just don't have any depth at this point. He's sitting on for a good team. That dude is – Moses Brown's a guy who's not only coming off the bench, but coming off the bench – sparingly and that doesn't mean that he can't be good but it just shows you where the thunder are compared to somebody like the jazz or the lakers or the Suns at this moment this is a guy that you have to rely on but good on the thunder for sitting al horford to find out can this guy play yeah where we are. Well, that's the beauty of it. You pick a project that you can play and let him develop while you're also losing in the process and it works out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, at least you're at least you're hoping it works out. If not, you're yeah. you're showing him off and if and if you don't like him, maybe some other maybe some other team will will be interested in his services. Somebody will be like, "I can turn that guy into an all-star." Yeah. Or, hey, he's better than what I have. What do I have to give up for him? <laughs> well, look, there are six teams right now that look at the Thunder and say that. So there's always somebody, right? Right. Ab- ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Unless you are the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves or the Houston Rockets, and then it's, there's nobody below. Why can't, they be, why can't they be worse than those teams? <laughs> I think I'm, they could have. I actually they think could they have. could have been worse. They should. Than they should have. Both those teams. Yeah, they should have. Is probably. But the they played say. Al Horford too long, hoping that somebody yeah. was going to bite on that contract, yeah. and no one did. Ah, oh, oh, that's probably got to That that is for Sam Presti. That's got to be the biggest defeat of the season is the fact that nobody bid on that contract. Yeah, trade. and it may have cost you a top five pick. Yeah, you didn't move the guy, and you lost a top five pick. Brutal. <laughs> Sam will figure it out though. Uh, He's one of the smartest GMs in the in the league. So, yes, he is. Let's hope, hope like you say, hope. It's all predicated it's on all hope. on hope. There you go. All right, my friend, I got to run. Uh, anything else on your mind? Um, Zayvon Collins to the Patriots, make it happen. I love Do it. Not want them. Don't want to see them trade up to get Justin Fields and. The Dallas Cowboys have just become the most fascinating team to watch in this draft because if Jerry's in love with Kyle Pitts, I want to see what Jerry Jones does to get him. Will he move up to get the guy who some people think he won't. is the second-best player in this overall draft? You don't think he will? No. No. Nope. I, look, I love <laughs> Kyle Pitts, and as a Dallas Cowboy fan, I I would love to have Kyle Pitts on the Cowboys. But I think that you look at that, there are so many holes on that team, they can't afford to to use draft capital to move up. So if Kyle Pitts falls to them at 10, I think it's great. You take Kyle Pitts and and you move on, but you don't trade away draft assets because you still have to, like the whole defense needs a makeover. So um, 
you know, even if Kyle Pitts is available at 10, you take Kyle Pitts at 10, then you probably spend every other draft pick you have on defensive players. Uh, I, I love it. I love it when Jerry gets something stuck in his head because that's when all the drama starts. And that is when the Cowboys are the most yeah. fun to, Well, remember though, Jerry's Jerry's not the the singular decision maker anymore either. I mean, he, you know, he he was in love with Johnny Manziel and uh, was talked out of that. So, you know, if Jerry had his way, Johnny Manziel would have been the first round pick that year, and instead, I think it was Zach Martin who became uh, who's going to be probably a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I I I want nothing. I want nothing more than the report from. from whoever's covering it, from Ed Werder, yeah. that Stephen has locked Jerry in a closet on draft day. He physically locked He's him in. He's in a broom in. closet, yeah. Himself. Jerry calls Goodell on the out. cell phone and makes the pick himself from the closet. <laughs> Screw everybody else, yeah. They, they, they are feeding him food through a hole in, yes. <laughs> yes. in the ceiling. It's just it's a hot it's a hostile takeover by the side. Yeah. Hey, CD Lamb slid to them last year, and I didn't think that was going to happen. So I'm 100 percent all in favor of him going back to the draft yacht this year and trying to to repeat the the luck that they had going. So, but that's not going to happen. Come on, let's let's face it. All of us all of us want to hang out with Jerry on the draft. The draft yacht, yacht absolutely. That's yeah, that's bucket list. We make. We, we may be divorced the next day. <laughs> I mean, just just throwing that out there. We may be divorced the next day, but uh, that that certainly would be something you could write books about for for years. One thousand percent. All right, buddy. Always appreciate you. Uh, we will catch up again next Tuesday. All right. Talk to you later, Colby. Eric G. Tulsa Sports Animal joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're unfamiliar with these products or their benefits, don't hesitate to give Artisan Botanicals a call. Ask questions. Educate your st- yourself. They have a staff dedicated to helping you live a better life. 405-458-9699. Plus, when you order online, we're saving you 15%. Abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code Colby Show once again at checkout and save 15% off your online order. Abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.